Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And on behalf of my wonderful congregation here at the Father's Church, and um, for all the saints who are part of our network of saints across the world, we'd like to welcome you to this time of study in the Word of the Lord. And I begin by stating once again that these are, in my opinion, the most opportune days that any Christian has ever lived in. And why do I say that? I'm not saying that they were, uh, that they are on a par with when Jesus came to give himself. That is the apex of all mankind. But I definitely believe that the things that we are, uh, and, and not only of all mankind, I have to add this caveat, but throughout eternity, world without end, everywhere, uh, throughout all the universes that God's created and will ever create. <laughs> Jesus' coming was the greatest, most phenomenal gift, and that was a precious time. However, he came to empower sons to be redeemed to the Father and to serve the will of God. And we happen to have been chosen by God to be living now where we see the unfolding of the prophetic scriptures in a way unlike anyone has ever seen before. And I truly do believe that these are the days that the prophets looked to and we are privileged to be serving God in this climactic moment in his timetable. So all that being said, I, I wanted to say that I intended today to be speaking on the end times. God has been showing things to a lot of the saints in the scripture about the days we're living in. And I've been obviously not, I don't concentrate on uh, the topics of study that, that I am pursuing. Uh, I, you know, those of you who know me recognize that I try to follow the leading of the Spirit as he's revealing things to us in the Word. But when I'm studying, just studying during the day, the scriptures, I've been looking at things about the end time. Um, and it was my full intention to speak a further word of um, instruction regarding what the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, his writings in the second epistle to the Thessalonians. And um, there you find flow patterns, you find 
principles that are evolving, not specifics. See, we always, when you talk about end time things, you try to, over the set decades to bring about specifics because people want you to bring it on down, show them exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, if we've learned anything over this past year, God is going to do things or allow things to be done that none of us expect. And, you know, one of the funniest things that I have heard about end time teaching was um, said by our friend Bishop Bill Hammond from Christian International Prophetic Ministries in, in Destin, Florida. He said that the 30 minutes of silence in heaven is going so, to be so that the prophetic teachers can update their charts. And that's hilarious to me because we, just as Jesus said that the Father only knows the time, um, we, we glean what he gives us. We are faithful, we stand, and we observe. And God brings clarity. But I do see in Second Thessalonians a flow pattern of energy and scenarios that are all present and functional in our day. You also include things that Jesus spoke about. Uh, and he, very clearly he speaks about um, you know, that famous passage, distress of nations and, you know, men's hearts feeling them for fear, failing them for fear. There are very clear words about ethnicities coming at odds with one another. We're seeing that the enemy trying to foment that today. And you see um, other things that are very apparent in the scriptures about the days we're living in. And we have to be very careful that we don't go off half-cocked with partial revelation and make statements then that we have to retract. It's much better that we observe understanding the times and seasons as Issachar did and then to know what we ought to do. We're not prognosticators. We're not Nostradamus. We're not, um, we're, and, and the reason we're not is that those things are very clearly attributed to our Heavenly Father. We're simply serving Him. But you can look and you can see things that are being Unveiled. You know, one of the things that is a modus operandi of Pneumatikos people is that they stand, they study, they observe, and they interpret. And those are the ways that God equips his people and positions them to serve. Otherwise, you remove faith. If you have all the answers, wherein is faith? If you have an advanced copy of the book, then you're not stepping out onto the water at all. 
Um, they're, they're, God is about the journey. He already knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We're always wanting to jump ahead and so that we can impress everybody with our prognostications. But God isn't that way in his word. He just is not. Even the things that Daniel spoke about, we're living in many of them today. But there, there are scenarios described. There are tactics entailed. There are things that we see where we can identify ourselves, but we don't really know the specifics of the timeline. We can f try to find them and rub heads with other prophetic gurus, but man, I've got, I've got a litany of books in my library that are written by people over the decades who knew exactly what God was going to do, who knew exactly when Jesus was coming, who knew exactly who the Antichrist was, who knew exactly all these things. And believe you me, as the old preacher said, there were goofballs that would line up and buy that stuff, and they just knew. I mean, everybody was convinced Jesus was coming back in the 1970s. Man, you had Tim LaHaye writing, and you had the late great planet Earth writing, and you had those... Uh, those crazy, goofy movies about the end times. Wish we'd all been ready. All that stuff. And it scared the bejeebers out of a lot of people. And here we are. 50 years later. I hope he didn't come back then or we're all in a peck of trouble. So, I think for us, it's an adventure. It's a journey with God. God's all about the journey. And it's exciting to be able to see the factors that the Apostle Paul and Jesus and others wrote about. You know, like for instance, in that 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter, you have a description of the epiphany of Jesus. It's like a, a light goes on. We had an epiphany. And suddenly we understand how all these things played out. And there's a double issuance of parousia there. And there's the working, the energeo of Satan. And you can see all of these factors. And you, you apply the definitions of those words and it blows to bits the crazy things that people, in quotes, know about what should be happening and when and who and why. So I think we just need to be alert and very careful before we state unequivocally this is that regarding what's happening in the end times. And we need to be careful um, to be to speak when God says speak and to be, there's a time to be silent. There's a time to watch and observe.
And but but the point is though that is as I look through that and I was going to teach on it, I, I threatened that yesterday during Saints Radio. Um, there are factors that are spelled out. We're living in them. We're not missing any of them. And it's, it's just good for us to see them as signs and then to recognize how we should maneuver through them. You know, there's, there's another factor. We're going to get to our topic today. It's about doubt. The outline is there for you on site. You can access it. But there are factors uh, that have been released in the spirit realm over the past year. We talked about them at the beginning of last year. Talked about the influences of them. And they have manifested throughout our country. Uh, I, uh, I, I remember early on last year speaking when COVID was first establishing its fingerprints on society throughout the world, uh, an, enemy, an enemy influence that was just pervasive and would, would confront and evoke anger and evoke despair. And, and evoke feelings of bitterness and how that God was allowing us to experience that and then to allow His Holy Spirit to search us and cleanse us. And God was dealing with a lot of issues that saints had had that had been there for decades, things that we had already walked through and presented to the Lord, but yet the Spirit was going deeper, delving deeper into areas of vulnerability. you remember those times? And every now and then you could feel that influence that would come against you with, with just fury and, and anger against the work God's given us. And you could see that influence spilling out on the streets of our country and in other nations. And these are things we're living real time that the Bible clearly describes. And, and I believe that, you know, those factors where Jesus says that members of your own household can be enemies and mothers against daughters, daughters against mothers, and on all of that, the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers, Malachi says. Um, and you see that, the, the patriarchy has been under attack. It's the stated goal of, of Black Lives Matter and other Marxist organizations in our country uh, where they want to destroy the, the, the Western idea of the home, which is really not the Western idea. It's God's idea of the father and the mother and the children. But the idea of a patriarchy and the fatherhood where God has drawn us to know our Father in heaven, and, and He wants us to be fathers to the children and, and to submit ourselves to Him as Father. That is a despicable viewpoint in the enemy's eyes. And it's, it's being promulgated throughout our nation and through the nations of the world. The enemy hates that. And there is, a, there is a destroying influence that the Bible speaks about in the book of Revelation that in the end time is, is being released. And it is a, 
it is by biblical definition a, an influence known as Apollyon. And the Greeks, of course, the patron demon of Greece was Apollo, that being that was the master of prophecy and truth and pestilence and so many other things. And this this Apollyon is by Scripture. Um, has been reserved in the bottomless pit, but all of a sudden God will be releasing it to do create havoc on the earth. And in the Hebrew, you can see in, in the book of Revelation, it describes this entity as being known as Abaddon in the Hebrew. And if you study that scripture, you find one really interesting passage in, in, um, in Job where it says, death and destruction, we're down in hell, this Abaddon, they hear of one thing. They hear of, it comes into their ears, of those who walk in divine understanding. Guess what, saints? That's you. That's to be you as pneumatikos individuals. And God has been showing us wonderful things about how revelation comes, how understanding comes, and how uh, most recently we've been looking through the Word on that. And this is a topic of the day. But that destroyer, according to the Scripture, not me, not some wacky prophet that found something scratched on a stone under a tree, Scripture says that from that place of destruction where death is, where hell is, the gates of Hades, as it were, they're focused on those who have understanding from God. And that's what Revelation very clearly details is being released in the last days to try to destroy to try to destroy the work of God. Now, are we afraid of that? No, but we see it. And guess what? We're going to see it more and more. Um, and it's being revealed. It's being revealed right, right now. So anyway, just be careful. Tap the brakes a little bit. Just because you're getting understanding doesn't mean you go out and start shooting your gun in the air and swinging your swords and going to war before it's time to go to war. There'll be plenty of time for that. But... We are God's army. We are to be a goodly horse in battle. And the goodly horse is one that has been so impacted <coughs> by the honor of God's glory that we recognize that we're serving the one who is our owner, our master. And the goodly horse in battle will stand there when... The tumult of war is going on all around. That horse sees all kinds of stuff. There can be arrows, bullets flying. There can be fire. There can be the screams and the shouts of the enemy armies. And even your own battalions. But you don't charge until the one who is over all things says, Go. This is still a time of preparation and understanding. We're gleaning, but we are not ignorant of his devices. But that doesn't mean we go out 
willy-nilly attacking them before God says to. This is a time for understanding. And here's the newsflash. We don't understand it all yet. But we're, we're walking in this journey. And God is just downloading wonderful things. Be careful about your actions and your reactions. Be careful about your interactions. And don't go off half-cocked. Because if the Bible shows us one thing, especially through the Old Testament, it was those who got a partial word or who got a full word and didn't wait on timing. Those folks weren't long for this world. We got a lot of work to do, so guard yourself. And there'll be a time where we teach more fully on these things. But you can, you as Pneumatikos people, just go through some of those passages. Go through that, that writing in 2 Thessalonians. And the reason he was writing to those people was that they were all confused. Some of the, some of the older folks in Thessaloniki were dying and they were all convinced that they were all going to be alive and see the Messiah come back in the clouds. And Paul said, look, don't be confused about this. And he talks about the factors that we're living in today. Go through those scriptures. Look at those words. And I know for some of us who are classic Pentecostals, we were taught dispensationalism. We... Hey, the parousia was a Greek word that a lot of people knew because they thought this is rapture talk. The parousia means, the parousia means so much more than our limited grasp of it was. And there are, there are if you're really honest about it, there are, There are the catchings away are in plurality in the New Testament. You know, you, you've got you've got a parousia, you've got a catching away of the angels that gather the elect from the four corners, and I can tell you this right now, from what we've studied about the ecclesia and the eclectos, that is a specialized group who are willing to to represent the kingdom. And uh, it's not necessarily everybody who are born again. I mean, I don't think that if you went and took a poll here in Dallas of the hundreds of thousands of people who show up at born-again Christian churches, if you talk about receiving a word from the Father, flesh and blood not revealing it, and taking the gates of hell and you ask how many of you are doing this or willing to do it <laughs> you you wouldn't have many takers and that's what the eclectos is that's what the ecclesia is so i said i wasn't going to teach on this and i'm really not teaching about it i'm just giving somewhat of a warning and an encouragement and a direction so let's look here um we want to see what it is that we should be wary of regarding the subject of doubt. Now, 
The little blurb that describes this teaching tells us that there are three major factors in the New Testament that the Spirit uses to describe doubt. Now, we're not talking about mental wrangling. We're not talking about the process of how we uh, try to understand and discern things. There are other words that describe that. I'm talking about doubt. So there are three facets that are primary in that discussion. And so if we want to help ourselves not to fail or help ourselves not to rob uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, <laughs> we need to think about that for a while. It does make sense. And we need to be careful that we don't engage in doubt. So let's look at these three. The first one is something that we have been focusing on a lot more recently, and that is diapareo, which truly means how we allow something to process through us, how we allow God to um, permeate the hardness of who we are and give us understanding. And sometimes, if we don't allow his attempts to reveal something to us or to get through to us, you know, we say that in, in English, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's in our vernacular. Is it getting through? Which would belie the fact that there are barriers that sometimes people... Uh, put up so that they don't hear or see. And so we find that doubt can first of all manifest in Christians because what God is presenting to them, they're not allowing to get through. Does that make sense? Or they let through a little bit of it and just enough so that they're dangerous. <laughs> Let's look at some of these scriptures. Uh, here on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. You had a lot of things going on in the context of this verse. It was the day of Pentecost and tongues of fire were still smoking on the tops of people's heads. and There were languages of men and angels being spoken by the people. There had been a sound of a rushing mighty wind. God was initiating what he wanted amongst the church. And here in Acts 2, verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? And doubt there is diapareo. And it means to, for these people, they were all having to process what God was doing. And the easiest thing when something this obvious was happening was to recognize this is God. I'm going to accept it and I'm going to receive it. Uh, you know, 
there were some whose answer to this what meaneth this was to just dismiss it outright and to cast an aspersion accusing the people of being drunk. Man, I tell you, whenever God's Spirit begins to move and there is a divine visitation, we have seen and lived this. Yes, you need to you need to be aware. You need to be not just swallowing everything um, that that comes down the pike. But when you know this is from God, it's not just some spiritual manifestation that you've been looking after because that excites you. But when you know this is from God, you're going to be presented with whether you're going to accept it or not. And there is a holy process that should go on there. How, how do you process a visitation from God? Well, first of all, you should be a student of the Word. Secondly, you should recognize the environment. And in some instances, you should say, this has to be, so when I see what's happening around me, uh, this, this is so unusual. This is a godly thing. And, and then you should just be willing, Lord, what do you, you want to do here? Usually, this kind of thing is unexpected. It's been prayed into being. Uh, God always deals with intercessors before he does anything. But it's usually unexpected. You know, I, I saw some people over the years who would just, they were glory hunters. And they would rush here and rush there looking for some new manifestation. We have a lot of those people that attend our meetings you know, we try to love them, but, you know, those kinds of folks will throw themselves open to anything. You know, they'll dance with whoever's playing a tune. That could be dangerous. That can be dangerous. And the idea that God is everywhere, all truth is God's truth, that'll get you in trouble. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any parent who has a young, beautiful daughter who would say, you just go out and find love wherever you want to find it. All love is good love. You just let any guy that comes up to you, or a girl nowadays, do whatever they want. You just live life deeply. Who would say that? That's child abuse. So you, you've got to, you don't just go searching for stuff. You don't, you don't just say, oh man, I hear, there was a, there was a, there was a legitimate visitation of the Spirit that happened many years ago. And then there was a time where God was causing people to process. And are you going to be willing to live out what you've received and welcome me where you are? And then there was a false, there were a lot of false manifestations. People who said, well, we've got the same thing going over here. Come on over. I got a call from a leader of one of those saying, you know, it would really be helpful if you and your people would come over because uh, we've got to keep this momentum going. And I thought, so you're telling me that we're responsible for your momentum. And 
you know, I blessed them. But then there was another place that was really famous because there was an internationally known evangelist and and uh, man, they were doing everything they could. It reminded me of the days of the latter rain. Um, you don't just go seeking out uh, some kind of uh, manifestation. Pentecost, I would dare say, except for the upper room, there wasn't anybody expecting this to happen when the Spirit visited that place. Now, yes, if God says, you know, like the Magi or the shepherds, you need to go over here. You need to go to this place. You go. But if it's just, you know, I want to... I want to stay hip with what's going on, man. That's not the best spiritual strategy you can you can take. So there were a lot of things happening on Pentecost. This was an unexpected visitation. It was obviously of God. And these people were standing there saying, Do I want to let this come into me? You know, it's funny, Dia Pereo. Any of you who had children can recognize the first part of that word, diaper. We appropriated this word into our vernacular to say, you know, these babies, you don't know what's going to be flowing through them, and we've got to do whatever we can to stop it. Not to stop the flow, but <laughs> we, don't, we don't want the baby plugged up in any way. That's awful. But we just don't want it flowing everywhere. And we got to be very careful that we don't diaper up our spirit so that God can't get through to us. Boy, if it takes me this long to get through these verses, we're never going to finish this. So, uh, in Acts 10, Peter was up on the roof of Simon the Tanner. I'm sure Simon knew he was there. And um, we know the story of Cornelius. God sends a vision. Arise, Peter, slay and eat. You know the story. Acts 10, 17. Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. And really what Peter was trying to do was process, am I willing to let this come into me? Am I willing to allow myself, even though I know this is of God, I can't deny this vision is from God, but I, am I going to let this come into me? That's Dia Pereo. Luke 24, 4. Um, this was when... Um, um, the ascension had occurred and people were watching Jesus rise and in this passage it says that they were trying to process what had gone on and um, we're going to talk about what I think this episode also entailed in just an, another 
couple of minutes. But they were watching, and the Bible says that <laughs> they were kind of balking. Uh, they uh, they were kind of I don't I guess they just weren't expecting. I don't know how they thought. Maybe they just thought Jesus wasn't going to be around anymore. And of course, that, if that was the case, they would have all been searching for him instead of going into all the world to preach the gospel. They would have been going into all the world to find Jesus. And the angels say, you know, go to, go to Jerusalem and do what you've just been told to do. Maybe I should have put that verse up at the top of this and then followed it with the uh, Acts verse. I'll fix that. Now, diapareo, of course, means to look all around and process things. But aporeo is another, it, it's the root dimension of this. And um, it's more intrinsic. It's more personal. You know, Peter had a personal encounter on that rooftop, but so many factors were coming to him. And, but here we see um, at, the, at the, the Lord's Supper, John 13, verses 21 and 22, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom, of whom he spake. And they they were they were processing these words and they were looking deep in themselves to say, Well, that's not me. And then who might it be? It was a very personal thing. Galatians four twenty the Apostle Paul was writing to these folks and he was just really, he was ticked off by what these galats were doing. And um, they were bewitched. They were believing other things. Sounds a whole lot like today. Who hath bewitched you, foolish Galatians? And so here Paul says in verse 20 of Galatians 4, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. When he changes his voice, remember they said, Paul, when you, when you write to us, you say these things, but when you come, you're very gentle and very loving. Isn't that something? So Paul says, I'm going to come to you. You've known me as this really nice guy. But I'm going to change my voice if I, if I could get there, and I'd tell you what for. Phew! I stand in doubt of you. It's, it's, it's hard for me to process how this, I'm just having a hard time processing how these things could have been accepted by you. Boy, I've been there recently. I've, I've, I've thought, how in the world could this be happening? How in the world and I'm not going to go through the details because it'll trouble some of you. <laughs> but it's the truth anyway. Here it is in the scripture. So, in this business of diapareo or epareo, we just need to be careful 
that when it is a truly a God visitation, that we don't over-process. We let God be God and do what he, what he really wants to do. Now, the second theme of doubt is distazzo, and it is a convergence of two mindsets or two pathways. In other, way, in other words, you've been existing in one way, and now suddenly there's another thing that you didn't consider, and there it is. And um, so Matthew 28, 16 and 17, these, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they proscuneoed, but some doubted. Um, the 11, the 11, some of them, were doubting. Some of them had one mindset that they had become very comfortable with, galvanized in, as it were. They had an idea of what should happen and what shouldn't happen. And now suddenly they're hearing Jesus say things. This was at the end of the book of Matthew. The story was, as it's being told, is about over. The story as it's being told. And um, for some of them, they weren't willing for Jesus to leave. They had it in their mind what was going to happen. And this whole process was troubling to them. And I, I would say that that's an issue. Even when God visits you and you are allowing him to poreo, you're allowing him to, to come into you, you can let that happen and then still doubt in distazo. What is the stasis of your life? You, you could say, you know, like for instance, when God came to us and overwhelmed us in 1996, Way back in 96, we accepted that. Some who were here at that time didn't. Immediately they didn't. But then it was very clear to me that what God was doing was different than what I thought he was going to do. I wanted God. Um... But my, my thought was that we were going to have this visitation and it was wonderful and that everybody would accept it and that everybody would want this. Why wouldn't they? And I still say that. Why wouldn't you want this? And that was my stasis. But when I recognized that there were a lot of people who were not letting this come into them. They wanted things the way they wanted them. They didn't want anything changing. They were comfortable with where they were. And so they weren't happy with the worship 
time going on and being the whole service or everybody on their face before God or certainly um, not getting out shortly after noon and boys is hungry. I had many people tell me, my son is just starving. <laughs> I thought, I was a boy too. I think he can survive a little bit. But anyway, um, God will sometimes, no, I want to say sometimes, he's going to challenge where you're comfortable. And, and at the time where he's telling you, you got to surrender your plan and follow mine, you can doubt. You know, here's a story in Matthew 14, verse 31, when Jesus is walking on the water. And it reminds me of that story Mark Twain told when he was a, a reporter and he was writing for various newspapers very lucratively. And he went to the Holy Land and he stood there on the Sea of Galilee and he said, he wrote, I can see why Jesus walked on the water when I see what some of these fellers are charging to take you across on a boat. <laughs> that was, that's funny. That's, that's, a, that's a Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain word right there. But Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter says, if it's you, let me come out to you. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter starts walking on the water. And, you know, he looks at the waves. He considers the wind. And Jesus stretches forth his hand as Peter begins to sink, catches him, and said to him, O you of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You were on this miracle pathway. Why did you consider another pathway? That's literally what the word means. It's a convergence of two things. And sometimes when we are walking in the miracle pathway of God, maybe it's financially, maybe it's in a healing way. Uh, we're obviously walking. It's working. It's, we're not, we've not hypnotized ourselves to believe something that's really not there. And then all of a sudden, we start thinking another thing, and then we sink. That's a kind of doubt that can destroy a miracle. Now, we're in a transitional point. We've been in a transitional point. God is causing us to want to step into the new. Are you so comfortable and cozy with the stasis where God has had you, O oh, great one. And now he's interrupting your nest and he's saying there's something new coming. You're facing doubt, this kind of doubt. Are you willing to step into that new thing? Are you going to curse what God's doing? Oh, I would never do that. Really? Well, you may not stand up in front of God and everybody and say, I oh, damn this thing, it's not going to be. And that's a King James word. Unless some of you think I've gone haywire. Um, but in your heart, you think, you know, I like the disciples. I like walking around with the Son of God. I like seeing him do things. I got my place. You know, people know I'm one of the ones that walks with Jesus, and we just had this major victory. 
we're set. I can counsel him right now about how the kingdom could come just on what he's done. No, I'm not interested in moving into a new pathway. That kind of doubt will sink you. Okay, so the third kind, diacrino. We've taught on this in the past a lot, especially when we've talked about crino, judging. You're supposed to judge prophetic words, which means you lay things out and you make a consideration of what they mean. And you toss, you, you keep the meat, you leave the bones, you take the wheat, you separate the chaff. And, you know, it's, it's a process, not based upon your, your, own, um, your own ideals or what's comfortable for you, but what's God saying here. And you are to judge prophecy. You are to judge things, interpretation. What's God saying here? Yeah, he's saying all these things, but what is he really saying? What's the point? Let's, let's bring that forth. So when you say diacrino, it means to judge things by way of sorting things out. And while you're supposed to apply crino to study, and when you're supposed to apply crino to your analysis of prophetic insights, you're not supposed to diacrino in some very important places. So, for instance, Mark 11, 23 and 24, one of Kenneth Hagin's great verses. Verily I say unto you that whatsoever, whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. Remember hearing that? I did not understand. Well, that's kind of a an oaky talk um, for saying this scripture. This is a keynote of the faith movement. Uh, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. You know, so that back in that teaching, doubt was that you didn't know enough verses, and you're entertaining other, other things, and um, uh, you need to put those down and slam it with the scripture and keep making your declaration and all those things. But doubt here is diacrino. And... Really, what it means in this context is this. If God has sent you to this mountain and God has told you to believe for a miraculous thing to happen, the removal of an obstacle, and there are a lot of other things we've taught about regarding this, but that's not our topic today. So some of you hearing this say, well, he didn't touch on the main point. Exactly. I'm talking about doubt. Sometimes we can talk ourselves out of a miracle. Sometimes we can know God has brought us to a place, know we're supposed to do this, and then start considering other factors that aren't appropriate for the moment. I remember one time we were, on our first trip into Brazil, we came to a church and we were trusting the leading of our representative there that we were supposed to be at this place we'd never met that pastor we'd never been anywhere there were some things that were very uncomfortable just in arriving in this place because you know it's always that way when you go into a different culture they don't know who you are they don't know what you need and you know you're trying to process not be the ugly American or not to be offensive but, you know, you're feeling that out. Especially if you're leading a group, 
you're concerned about all the people that were with you. So anyway, there were those factors. Well, the pastor of the church shows up, we just meeting him, and he starts laying out these things that we didn't know were there. And I'm not going to go into the details, but um, we knew God had led us there. We knew God said to come. I wasn't happy with what this guy was telling us. And there was some sentiment that the deal was off. Well, with these other factors here, we're, we're not going to come in there. We were diacrinoing factors, and we were acknowledging things that in any other place were not right. But finally, the Spirit said, I sent you here. You go do what you're supposed to do regardless of these other things. Regardless of these other things that you know in the Spirit could be destroyers. But you go anyway. And the very things that were troubling to us, God miraculously moved upon. And it was a phenomenal miracle. And everybody in that place knew it. Everybody in that place knew it. And it had to do with somebody who had was a respected authority who was not really in favor of us being there. But God melted his heart and moved upon him, and it provided many miracles. Now, we've gone into other places where there was a strong man, and, um, you know, that person was not willing to surrender his authority and was not willing to allow what God was wanting to do, and the work of God was hindered. But yet, we presented and we came away knowing that we did what we were supposed to do, but yet recognizing, boy, that guy really stood in the way of what God wanted. I keep, I keep going here. Dealing with influential doubters, Diacrino. We talked about Peter up on the roof and how he had to process these things that God had shown him. Well, here in... in uh, in that same pass, in that same context, um, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise, therefore, and get thee down. Go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So you had really two kinds of doubt that Peter faced. One was him processing for himself all these things that God had said. And then the Spirit says, look, don't overthink this. You're going to have to go into a place where the centurion, an enemy of Rome, is functioning, and you go there anyway. Don't you overprocess. You just go and tell, do what I told you to do. So then in Acts 11, after it happened, Acts 11, verse 2, Peter came up to Jerusalem, and those that were of the circumcision contended with him. They didn't like that he went into uncircumcised territory and um, dealt with these Romans. It's funny that those of the circumcision contended with him. It wasn't, these weren't nationalists that were contending that a, that a centurion, these were people that are nitpicking, and they are presenting this diacrino. And in verse 12, P 
Peter is giving his answer and it says, the Spirit bade me go with him. That's a famous old-time Pentecostal phrase, the Spirit bade me go. Nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. We entered into the man's house. Peter said, I processed this in God, and, and the Spirit of the Lord told me not to overthink this, to go and obey. Now in Acts 15, Peter's talking about this again. Acts 4 through 9. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. They declared all the things that God had done to them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here they are again. The apostles and elders came together to, for, for to consider this matter. To me, what's to consider? And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, and the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel, and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference, there's our word, between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. With all the things that God was doing, the diacrino, all of those things considered, I recognized that there wasn't any difference between the two of us, between us and the Romans, between us and the, um, the, the, the uncircumcised. I suppose if they were listening today, they might have been talking about Roman privilege. And they might have been saying that you know, there's a difference between the Jews and the Romans. Just as in the early church, they tried to make a difference between the Jews and the Greeks. But Peter says, as I decrenote this, there's no difference between any of us. i got to keep going because we're really out of time. Abrahamic swagger. Romans 4, verses 19 through 20. Being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body, now dead when he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Mark Burke, if you're listening, that'd be a great title for a book. The Deadness of Sarah's Womb. Think on that. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He staggered not. He did not diacrino too much concerning the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God the glory. Wow. Stagger. You can stagger if you diacrino in the wrong way. Especially when you're considering all the factors and you've got some pretty telling factors there. I'm a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That, those are staggering. But what did God say? That Your diacrino is what you pick out and you say this, this, is, what I'm, this is what I'm holding on to. And that's really where the miracle power is. Why did God bring me to this mountain? Why, why, did he, why did he bring this here? What did he tell me to do? Boy, that's a big mountain. No, you, you creno what God said, and you don't stagger. All right, let's keep rolling here. You can study these all. That's why I put them on this sheet. Cleansing ourselves, 1 Corinthians 11, 29-31. He that eats and drinks unworthily, those that are not willing to take the axios of 
of the burden of the Lord on your shoulders that you're supposed to be carrying, that yoke that is yours, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself, not discerning, diacrining what God is providing. For this man caused many weak, sickly among you, many sleep. We talked about those three things. That's an important teaching. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be crenoed. Who's crenoing us? Is it the enemy? Is it the circumstance? But if we say, God, what are you wanting to give me? What are you wanting to touch with the sprinkling of your blood? What are you wanting to get out of me in bitterness that shouldn't be there? What are you wanting to give to me in a grace supply? Eucharistio, the good grace. What are you preparing me for? If we lay all those out and say this and this and this is what this table is providing for me, then we won't be weak and sickly and, and comatose. It's interesting. James 1, 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. This is an important one. We cannot overthink what God had said. And we can't overthink by virtue of what other people say. We cannot overthink by virtue of what our close companions are or people who we've known and have strong opinions from the Word. We cannot, I don't know what I mean by that, traditions from the Word. We cannot overthink by what we are willing to do and not do. What does God say? Not blown about by every wind of doctrine. What does God say? And I'm not going to diacrino that. I'm going to take very clearly what he said. And I'm going to walk on this water. And I'm going to not be blown about. I'm concerned about some saints over the years. God has given us the truth. He's given you your word. Why in the world are you seeking out every wind of doctrine? It's, it's almost like a fetish for some people. It's like an addiction for some people. And it's kind of like the guy that goes through the cafeteria line, gets his food, and then he sits there and looks at what everybody else got and say, I wish I got that. Be happy with what God's given you. It is a feast. And don't, don't, uh, you know, don't put your hand to the plow and turn back and start plowing crossways. Uh, outmaneuvering a satanic tactic, Jude, verse 9, and Michael the archangel, when contending with Satan, who was disputing about the body of Moses, did not bring against him a blasphemia crisis, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You know the way the enemy deals with things. We read about it in the scripture. Hath God said. Oh, you know, it said this, but this should really be. Michael had an assignment. And um, he stuck to it. He didn't let the enemy blow him off course. Neither should you. Last verse says we are well out of time now. In Jude verse 22, when talking about people who have drifted away, of some... Have compassion. This is Elios. This is mercy. This is not just, oh, I want to be kind-hearted. 
God directs you. Mercy at its heart is the direction of God, which is why the mercy seat was not a lone window where you go and you bellyache and God doles out supply. Mercy was commune with God about where that ark was supposed to go in the presence of the cherubs and what God was telling his representative, his priest or Moses to do. And that's what mercy was and that's what mercy really is. So if God directs you to some, you make a difference. You, Diacrino, you say, okay, God sent me to you. Better make sure it's God. Because if you don't, you can get into the quicksand that person has walked into. And they'll drag you in. God sent me to you and he said to tell you this and this. Come on out. So those are the three types of doubt. You can think about them more. But just for the purpose of recap, number one, we want to make sure we let God bring to us exactly what he's wanting us to receive. And we open ourselves to that. And we don't stand there trying to plug it up so it doesn't get through to us. Secondly, if that visitation challenges where we're standing, don't waver on which path you're supposed to be on. If God says, I'm over here, as just as he did with the disciples, leave your nets, leave your tax booth, leave your fig tree, follow me. Thirdly, don't overthink it. Those three types of doubt can destroy your walk in faith. So don't let it happen to you. May God bless all of you. Great days are here and they're ahead. Be encouraged. I release to you that unique visitation of the Spirit that God has been wanting to share with you. And I ask that God will bring healing and I, I declare that God will bring sustenance and provision, direction, favor, that the doors that God has ordained for you will be open and that you'll see them and that you'll hear what His Spirit is saying to you. And once again, thanks for tuning in today. And until our next time to be together, God bless you and goodbye.